Revelation 22, verses 6 through 12. All right, Revelation 22, verses 6 through 12. Before we look at these verses, let me just say this. The early church, and by the early church, I mean starting in Acts chapter 2 in the first century, the early church believed that Christ's coming was imminent. And imminent means just simply that it can happen at any time. They believed that Jesus Christ could come back for them in their lifetime. They, they fully expected that. And so for the early church, imminence, this idea of coming back at any time, contained elements both of certainty as well as uncertainty. They were certain that Jesus would one day return. They firmly believed that. But they were uncertain of when that would happen. And since they didn't know when He might return, they lived prepared for Jesus to return at any moment. By the way, that is the way that you and I should also live. Scripture is constantly exhorting us to watch, to be ready, be waiting. Here in our passage today, the last chapter in your Bible, Revelation 22, there's actually a threefold repetition of a particular phrase. And when God puts something in His holy word that, that's repeated, you need to sit up and take notice of it. God's trying to emphasize something for you that He does not want you to forget. I'll put it on the screen here for you. It is, is the, the, the four simple words, I am coming quickly. It's the next one there. And, and here's the verses. In case you're wondering, look in your Bibles, Revelation 22. Let's start reading in verse 6, but then you'll see the words there in verse 7. Verse 6 says this, And he said to me, this is angel speaking to John, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now notice, there's the first mention, those very important words, I am coming quickly. Uh, the other uh, mention is in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Same idea. Verse 20. Look at verse 20. This is the other one mentioned here. Not in our passage for today, but look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Okay, do you get the point? What is it that God wants us to remember here, coming to the end of His holy word? That Jesus is coming again. And it's soon. It's quickly. It's reinforcing this reality of an imminent return. And the word quickly, by the way, there does not refer to the speed at which Jesus can travel through the air. <laughs> All right, that is not the point of Scripture here. Uh, yes, I'm sure Jesus can go really fast. Probably faster than the speed of light, if, if, if I had to guess. But that's not the point. The, it's not referring to how fast Jesus will travel from heaven to earth when he returns. The idea or the meaning here is he's coming soon. It's before long he's going to be here. What's the point? The point is that Christ is here standing at the door. He's ready to return at any moment. At any moment. And here in verses 6 through 12, we have a series of rapid fire statements, kind of like a machine gun. <laughs> 
giving it to you just really, really quickly. And it's, des- it's describing the responses that every believer in Jesus Christ should have to the imminent, the soon return coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, I have a heading in my Bible, beginning of verse 6, it says, Jesus is coming. Amen. That is a fundamental of the faith. So the reality of Christ's imminent return is, is calling all believers in Jesus Christ to do something with that wonderful truth. What are you supposed to do with that? I'm glad you asked. Because Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us. In fact, the first response that every believer should have to the, to the soon coming of Jesus Christ is immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. Look at verse 7 again. It says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Did you notice the word keep there? Very important word. So in verse 7, the speaker, by the way, uh, in case you haven't picked up on this, is, is no longer the angel speaking, uh, which was speaking to the Apostle John. But in this case, it's Jesus Christ speaking. Jesus is saying, I, I am the one who is coming soon. The angel's not the one coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And notice what he's saying here. Christ is actually pronouncing a blessing. Now, who's the blessing for here? Who's the blessing for? The blessing is for those who heed, those who keep. The idea of heed or keep, depending on what translation you're looking at there, it's to hold fast to its, you're guarding something that's very precious. What are we to guard? What are we to protect? Well, you are called, according to this passage here, to protect the book of Revelation, essentially. To be really specific, you're to guard this wonderful book. And so, it must be defended against those who deny its relevance. There's plenty who try to do that. Uh, you are to protect it against the critics who like to deny the authority of Scripture. You are also to uh, guard against uh, confused interpreters of the Bible. Who, who think, you know, they go around, oh, well, that's your interpretation. You know, there's many, many interpretations. No, there isn't. Only one interpretation, and it's our job to get it right. So all of Scripture is to be guarded and protected. So you could expand, go beyond the book of Revelation here, to all 66 books of Scripture are to be guarded and protected. Every one of us is to do that. But Christians are called not only to guard Scripture, it says you are called to obey it, to keep it. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what all people do who love Jesus. And so those who live as if Jesus could come at any moment will live in obedience to Scripture. Now what words in Revelation are believers to heed to keep there's no specific commands in revelation chapter 4 through 22 i don't know if you realize it or not you won't find any commands in the majority of the book of revelation there are some commands addressed to the seven churches in in chapter 2 and 3 so what does it mean to keep the book of revelation what does that mean because that's what jesus says there in verse 7 well 
Let's just try to think about this for a moment, okay? Uh, It's a general command to long for Christ's return and our eternal fellowship with Him. That's one of the points of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The full title of this book is, is referring to Jesus Christ. You're to long for Christ's return. You're to think of, if you're a believer, your eternal home. Long for that. It's also a call on Christians to desire heaven. So if you're keeping this, you're you're longing for heaven. You're desiring heaven. It's also a desire for holiness. Because, you know, Scripture says without holiness, you're you're not going to see God. It's a desire to see Christ triumphant over His enemies. That's one of the, the beauties of the Bible. It ends with triumph. We know how how the beginning of the end, if you will, is. We know Satan is finally thrown into the lake of fire. That's his final doom. Unbelievers go to the lake of fire. And then and then there's after that it's it's great, isn't it? It's also a desire to uh to have the curse of sin ended. We we saw that that earlier in chapter twenty one. No more sin, no more pain, sorrow, none of that sort of stuff anymore. It's also a desire for the glories of Christ's earthly kingdom. I hope you believe in a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. It'll be a wonderful time. And then, last of all, it's a desire for the new heaven and the new earth when finally uh, the the curse of sin on this earth and the heavens will be gone because it's going to be destroyed and then God will make all things new. So what should the book of Revelation cause you to do? It should cause you to do something. It should have an effect on you. It's a wonderful book. All right, don't ignore it. Uh, all scripture is profitable. I know some people don't like they don't really like the book of Revelation for various reasons. But it should cause you to do something. Number 1, it should cause you to love Christ more. It should cause you to love Christ more because in the book of Revelation you get to see Christ as, as if you, you you never really seen him like this before. He's he's powerful. He's awesome. Unstoppable. It should cause you to long to see Christ glorified. You should read this stuff in the book of Revelation and say, Wow, Christ is finally getting the glory He deserves. Man, come now, quickly, soon. It should cause you to live in the light of reality. This is reality. Most of us live in a in a facade, in a, in a fake world, in a, in a dream world we kind of make up in our own minds, right? Uh, This is not real, really. Reality is what God says here. Uh, It should cause you to disconnect yourself from this world's system. As you read the book of Revelation, you should say, okay, wow, Uh, man, that's far better than than the world I'm living in at the moment. This this world system's messed up. Man, I can't wait to, to have everything you know, holy and, and, and righteous and true and just and all those wonderful attributes should cause you to pursue heavenly realities. What are you pursuing? It should cause you to seek to be made like Christ. The Bible says when you see Him, you will be made like Him. Are you longing for that? It should cause you to hope for your resurrected body. You're going to get one one day. Every one of us will get a resurrected body. 
Unfortunately, not everybody's resurrected body will be suitable for heaven. Because the Bible does say some will be made for the lake of fire. So which, which one are you going to get? Should cause you to anticipate your eternal reward. God believes in rewards. And by the way, He doesn't give to everybody the same. Scripture says it's according to what you have done in your body on the earth. The book of Revelation should cause you to understand the judgment that awaits non-Christians. There is a judgment day coming. All right, You won't be able to get out of this appointment. And the book of Revelation should cause... Uh, it calls those sinners to repentance and saving faith in Jesus Christ. So people who understand anything about the book of Revelation should see a, a, a wonderful God, a powerful Jesus Christ, and, a, and one who loves them, and one who paid the penalty for sin, and He's coming again. He's bringing judgment with Him. So God doesn't command believers to read Revelation just merely to satisfy their curiosity about the future. He didn't inspire this book to provide material for you know, detailed chronological charts of end times events. That's not the point. It was not God's purpose to give Christians some detailed analysis of the prophetic significance of contemporary social events or trends that we see happening around us. I'm not, I'm not saying those, you know, I'm not saying ignore those things, but sometimes we lose sight of the whole point of this wonderful book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. So God wrote revelation for one purpose, to reveal the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. And as well as that, He's calling you and me to live godly, to live obedient lives in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming soon. So the purpose of Revelation is not to provide entertainment, although it is interesting, but it's hopefully going to motivate you and me to live godly. Let's move on to the second response that this wonderful book should have on us. We find in verses 8 and 9 that we should have immediate worship Immediate worship. That's what John does. Look at verse 8. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, notice what he does, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. That's the angel speaking there. The angel says, hey, don't worship me, worship God. Now in verse 8, the the speaker is no longer Jesus Christ. Uh, John's speaking there. And so after being overwhelmed by what he's heard and what he saw, what what does John do as a result of that? He falls down. He begins to worship. He gets in the... Uh, the position of worship for many Hebrews was falling down on your knees, on your face. And so he had the proper response, but not the right object of worship, right? The angel is not to be worshipped. So he accidentally directed his 
his worship to the wrong object. And, and John knew that angels should not be worshipped. He already knew that. And so because God alone is to be worshipped, the angel tells John there, hey, don't do that. Don't worship me. Worship God. And so the angel reminded the apostle that, hey, I'm, I'm just a created being just like you. Okay, Not to worship created beings. God's the only one to be worshipped. He's the only object of worship. He's the only one who is worthy of worship. And so while John here gets the right, uh, he got the object of worship wrong, let me put it that way, at least he got the right response. Okay, He got the right response. So a proper understanding of Revelation should cause any Christian to worship. It's one of the things that this book should do in your life. So let me say again that God alone is the only acceptable person to worship. God alone is the only appropriate object of worship. And, of course, the Bible forbids worship of anyone else. Uh, That includes angels, saints, the Virgin Mary, or any other created being. Only God alone is worthy of worship. So John worships. That's the second appropriate response. Number three. Number three should also be immediate proclamation. Immediate proclamation. Look at verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. (laughs) Kind of an odd, strange passage, isn't it? Uh, Let me try to help you understand it. Well, here again, we have the angel is continuing his message to the Apostle John. The angel commanded him here, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, he's saying this, that the message of Revelation is not to be hidden. It's not one of those kind of treasures you put away in some safety deposit box or bury under the ground or something like that. It's a message that's to be spread. It's a message, in other words, to be proclaimed to everybody. Why is that? Well, this message should produce obedience and worship. should produce obedience and worship. We want, of course, hopefully as believers, we should want everybody to obey God and, and worship Him. Now, the specific words of Revelation are not to be sealed up, it says. And that stresses that there's no hidden, secret meaning apart from the normal sense of the text. All right? there, so, so don't go looking for weird, hidden things. God's not trying to play hide-and-go-seek with you. Scripture is, is clear. It, it's meant, for the most part, to be understood. And so if the truth is not clear in the words, then this command is, is a bunch of nonsense. If the plain, normal understanding of the words is not conveying the meaning that God intended for readers to grasp and understand, then those words are sealed. They're, they're hidden. Of course, God wants you to understand. He wants you to know Him. And so the angel's next statement may seem strangely out of place in this particular context, because... He says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the evildoers still do evil, depending on what translation you're looking at. So what truth does this particular statement convey? 
That's kind of strange, isn't it? Let the evildoers still do evil, verse 11 says. Let the filthy still be filthy. (laughs) Well, people's response to the proclamation of the truth is actually going to fix their eternal destinies. How you respond to God's truth, particularly how you respond to Jesus Christ, will fix your eternal destiny, whether you spend eternity in heaven or in the lake of fire. So those who hear the truth and then just continue to do wrong, to do evil, have actually fixed their eternal destiny in the lake of fire or in hell. However, those who practice righteousness, who try to live godly lives for God's glory, are actually giving evidence that they're genuinely saved by faith in Christ alone. So it's sobering here then, isn't it, to realize that people's response to God's truth in this life will actually determine their eternal destiny. You understand that? Okay, you don't, there's no second chance after you die. There is no such thing as a purgatory. Alright, you don't get to die and then make up your mind, oh, you mean this place is really real? Oh, then I'll choose God. No, that doesn't happen. You don't get a second chance. It's now or never. And so when you die, or when Christ returns, your character is going to be fixed forever. And so if you respond to the warnings in Revelation, then you're going to live forever in heaven. But on the other hand, if you fail to heed the warnings and what it says here, then guess what? You're going to remain forever in your sinful state. That's the point that uh, Scripture is making there in verse 11. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and then the righteous will still do right, and the holy still be holy. So the, the, the choice you make now is going to be fixed forever. There is a fourth response to Christ's imminent return here. Look at verse 12. It is immediate service. Immediate service. Scripture says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Now, this might be confusing because the speakers keep going, they keep switching on us, right, in this conversation that's going on here. In this case, the speaker is no longer the angel, but it's Jesus Christ. And and you see that repeated phrase, the emphasis of the passage again, that, that Christ is coming soon. So Jesus' statement here again talking about his imminent return. He's coming soon. It teaches uh, the same truth that he's expressed elsewhere in Scripture. For example, in Mark chapter 13, it's on the screen. Uh, here's what the Bible says. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Don't fall asleep on the job. The Bible says that when he comes, Jesus is going to bring his reward with him. He's going to give to every person according to what you've done while you've been here on earth. So do you understand what what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying 
that believers' eternal rewards are based on their faithfulness when they, in, in, the, in the service of Jesus Christ in this life. So, my friend, if you're a believer in Christ, your works are going to be tested, and only those with eternal value, the Bible says, will actually survive that testing. Do you understand? Only the ones that have eternal value will last that testing. That's what Scripture says, for example. Again, on the screen here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, here's what Scripture says. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is, uh, someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Did you notice in that passage there in 1 Corinthians 3, there's different building uh, products that are mentioned there, right? So you have things such as the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. And then the other ones, they all kind of categorize together. You have wood, hay, and straw. And you probably already know the difference between those two. If you if you burn those things in a fire, uh, there, there's going to be a vast difference between those two categories, right? If you, bu- if you burn wood, hay, and straw in a fire, you just, you just get a little bit of ashes left, basically nothing. It's all burned up, and it basically becomes meaningless. It becomes worthless. However, if you burn gold, silver, and precious stones, then... If anything, it actually makes it better, not, not worse. You actually have something of value left over. That's the idea of, of eternal value to, to your good works, if you will. And so the rewards believers enjoy in heaven will be capacities literally for serving God. You'll have a greater capacity to serve God based on what you do now. So the greater... Uh, a value of your faithfulness in this life means there's uh, you'll be have greater opportunities of service in heaven. Okay, uh, too often we focus the rewards upon hey you know you know I'm going to do more good works here on earth because uh, you know Jesus is going to make my my mansion is going to be bigger than your mansion. Or hey you know my bank account in heaven is going to be bigger than your bank account. Or I get, you know, I get a bigger orchard than you, or, you know, or whatever. I don't know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. You, you know, wear wear that particular shoe. But too often we're just it's kind of very selfish and self self focused on, hey, you know, I'm going to do this because because man, I want I want more from King Jesus. Instead, I here's what I want you to think. Okay, I want you to think this way. It's a bit of a of a mind shift, if you will. 
It's a mindset that you need to kind of reverse. Often we need to reverse the way we're thinking. Instead of thinking, you know, I get more, think of it this way. I get to do more. I get to give more. I get to serve more. Totally different way of looking at it, isn't it? And so the knowledge that Jesus could return at any moment should have an effect on us, right? As, as it did upon even upon the Apostle John, as it did upon the early church. The knowledge that Jesus could return at any moment should not lead you to just live a, a life of idle waiting for His coming. <clears throat> in fact, the Apostle Paul had to address that in the, the church of Thessalonica, didn't he? In fact, he, he told them, hey, you guys... You guys get busy, because some of them are sitting around idle, some of them were being lazy, they weren't working in Thessalonica, and, and Paul actually sternly rebuked them. Hey, you guys aren't working, you shouldn't be eating. If you don't work, you don't eat. Paul had to address that particular issue. So, I mean, again, that shows you the early church was expecting the soon return of Jesus Christ. You know, they, you know, why, why, you know, why paint my house? Because Jesus is coming soon. Why, why keep my garden? You know, I don't need to work in my garden and look after my crops. Jesus is coming soon. There were some lazy people, and Paul rebuked them. Okay, yes, stay awake, be ready, watch, believe Jesus is coming, pray for it even, but don't be lazy, don't, don't be idle, don't just sit around doing nothing. Certainly don't do what some of these, some of these people have done. They've actually sold their houses. And then they go and sit on some mountain somewhere and then pick some day out from who knows where to get these dates from. Hey, Christ is coming. Then they, they're just wasting their time. and They look like a fool in the process. So keep working. Don't be idle, but at the same time, no, hey, yes, Jesus is coming. Believe it. Any moment. All right? The idea here is that this should produce diligent, obedient, worshipful service to God. Those are the responses we see here. Let me repeat that. The fact that Christ is coming soon should produce diligent, obedient, worshipful service to God. It also should uh, produce in us an urgent proclamation of the gospel to unbelievers, shouldn't it? If you really believe what you believe, that Jesus is coming again. Do you really believe that? Sometimes I have to question myself what I believe because I hold my tongue too often. Don't, don't proclaim the truth to an unbeliever like I should. I'm sure you do the same. I have to question myself. Do, do I really believe what I believe? Well, <clears throat> I have to say too often the way I live shows that I don't actually believe what I believe. I don't actually believe that Christ is coming soon. Do, do I believe in an in eternity of heaven and hell? Do I believe these places are real? Hopefully you believe those things. I don't need to prove that to you. But it should have two responses. Well, actually, at least these responses that I've mentioned to you. So the truth that Christ is coming again, let me repeat them, should produce diligent, obedient, worshipful service to God as well as it should produce in us an urgent proclamation of the gospel. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. We should believe that, that unbelievers uh, will go to the lake of fire unless they repent, they come to Christ and believe in Him. 
So what we see here in the book of Revelation is true, my friends. This isn't fables. These are not anything like Aesop's fables. These are not legends. This is what's actually going to happen. God has been gracious to us, very gracious, giving us a little glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. Believe them. This is inspired scripture. God breathed these things out. He knows the future. To him, it's the past, present, and future. He sees it all. He's working out his plans. So believe it and then act upon them. 